This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. We got to appreciate that we're taking something from nothing, from just our mind and our spirit, and we are creating value to the point that down the road somebody wants to give hundreds of millions of dollars, and we're going to be mad about that? And then if it's someone that has the kind of mindset to do that in the first place, imagine what they can do now having. Do you know what I could do if I was starting out not broke like we started out and not having to go through bankruptcy? So, I mean, we got to let our people fly, and we got to know everybody's flight might look a little bit different, mm. but it's all a win. Mainstream folks, white, they do this stuff all the, all time. the time. Private equity funds will buy companies to multiply its value and liquidate it. All, I mean, that's they're flipping stuff. Just like it, it's nothing but a flip. Them niggas scared to make that move. We can't relate to that. I roll the dice. Shit, if I lose, I'm gonna be shaking back. Cause lessons learned within the loss. Just elevate the fact that trial and error just the only way. Ain't no escaping that. I wake up, hit a hundred push-ups, then I map my route. Check on my stocks, see how they looking, then I'm sliding out. When you start seeing your progression, you stop having doubts. And what's the point of having clout if you can't cash it out? True to this game, but number life, ayy. Hey. Feel like we finna change the cycle, ayy. Hey. That's the most success, you know we thriving, ayy. Hey. That's the most depression for our rivals, ayy. Hey. Could teach a lesson on survival, ayy. Hey. You know I'm from the bottom. What is good with it, my wealthy people? It's your boy David Bellard, founder CEO of Blackwell Renaissance. Here with my brother from another. What's good, Jalen? Yo, what's good? I, I probably should have just dapped you up. Yeah, man. you know, it was a little awkward, but yeah. we made it happen. Um, but what's good, man? It's your boy, Jalen, another founder of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. I'm feeling great, dog. I cannot complain. Um, it's an amazing day. It's kind of gloomy outside, but the energy is amazing. Yo, you're so I'm know. excited. Yeah, and I appreciate our guests coming yeah, all the way, you know. We from got the an- A. From the A, y'all already know we got another great episode for y'all today. Um, before we get into it. As always, y'all, make sure y'all leave that five-star rating and review. It helps us grow the show. Um, Now, to get into it, y'all, I'm really excited about today's episode because what this brother's doing is not only cool, but it's unique. And I think it speaks to why we started Black Wealth Renaissance, Mm -hmm. to show these type of people, highlight his story. So on today's episode, guys, we have a brother who, by way of Atlanta, let's just say it that way, uh, owner of H&H Hospitality Group, which is a conglomerate right, that owns, that has ownership stakes in 20 restaurants in the Atlanta airport. And last year, I think it, it won track to do 50 M's in revenue, right? Crazy whenever you're hearing these numbers. So we had to get this man on the show so we could get his story. We have none other than Mr. Randy Hazleton. Randy, how you doing today, brother? Man, I am fantastic. I really appreciate y'all brothers for having me. Excited to be here. Look forward to the conversation, man. Thank you, you thank you. Coming, Likewise, man. man. So, sure. so Randy, just to kind of get into it, man, um, for anybody that may not be familiar with you, right, they may not have seen the Forbes feature, they may not have been privy to what's going on. Can you just, like, give them a brief introduction of who Randy Hazleton is? Okay, so just briefly, Randy Hazleton, airport concessionaire is what they call it, but that's airport restaurants. So I own and operate restaurants in airports between Atlanta, Dallas, Fort Worth, as a matter of fact. Uh, Dulles in Washington, D.C., and then we got a couple other markets that we're about to open up the end of this quarter and the top of the next quarter. So that's cool. So that's what we do. We operate restaurants and airports. 
So did you walk past one of your restaurants like, oh, that's my spot. Let's see how it's going on today. Uh, it's, so my restaurant that we got a stake in is the Shake Shack on Terminal C and DFW. So I came in on another. I got you. Another kind. So I didn't see it today. And I, I was kind of rushing through. Got but you. normally yeah. I would spend you time spend and make a little sure. Time. You know, yeah. yeah. That's dope. Today. That's dope. Yeah. That's what's up. Well, Randy, thank you for, <laughs> and again, joining us, man. So really hopping into it. You stayed airport concession there, right? What what do you mean? Like I know airport concessions is restaurants in the airport. How do you even find your way into this business, man? Man, look, I, I wish I could say I mapped all this out and I had this beautiful vision about starting a restaurant. Ended up in a, ended up in an airport. It didn't happen anything like that. So what happened was I was working in corporate America and and I and I hate I detested it. Like it it was just not for me. So I knew mm-hmm. I had to do something else. Mm-hmm. Wanted to get into business for myself. And because I had spent a bunch of time in restaurants, just just kicking it, just you know, going to lounges, going to restaurants, going to clubs. When it was time to exit, to get to exit corporate America, when I thought of businesses that I that I could conceptually understand, I thought like I could put this together. I know a restaurant has you need food, so you get a chef. It needs to look good, so you get a designer and an architect. You you know you need good service, so you hire a good man. I just thought I understood the component parts to get it, to do a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So that's why I decided to open up a restaurant because it just I thought it was something I could put together. Now that's not the way you want to get into the restaurant business because that shit is hard. Like it is mm-hmm. really tough. You want to be more studied than that. But we got into it and opened a restaurant, started operating, but didn't make any money. We mm-hmm. didn't know what we were doing. That forced us to be in the restaurant all the time. Mm-hmm. And in being in the restaurant all the time, we met thousands of people like weekly. And over the course of meeting those people by being in there, had all types of incredible conversations and relationships. And some of those conversations were about airport concessions. And that's how I learned about it. And the more folks would come that did that stuff too, that, you know, the airport concessions business, the more they talked about it, the more it became interesting to me and my uh, business partner. And so we, we started looking into it, learning about it, and then had people supporting us toward moving in that direction. And that's how we got into it. So that's like the backstory to how we ended up there. But it came out of organic conversations by working the business we started and then tuning into the things that like just resonated with us. Like, wait a minute, that sounds like something to get into. Mm. So so whenever you first heard of the concept of airport concessions, were you just kind of taken aback or did you start doing more research on it? Or was it just after, you know, you heard it two or three times, you brought it up, you was like, man, maybe I need to look into this a little bit. I mean, I, I think like the first time or so I heard, because con- when I hear concessions, I think like a fair mm-hmm. or like football cotton game. candy, football game, yeah. like, you know, boiled peanuts. I'm not thinking restaurants. So when it, so I don't think the first time it landed on me mm-hmm. how big an industry it was. Um, but when someone like sat me down and say, no, no, Randy and Kevin, Kevin holds my business partner. Here's what this is. And here's what airport concessions really means, and it's doing what you do in a space where airlines are flying in passengers. You're not, you know, you just focusing on the operation. Like that's what this is. That's when the light bulb went off. Gotcha. And I'm like, yeah, we need to. I need to see about that. So, so basically, concessions just mean where you're not actually going out and recruiting the customer. You're just there to support the customer for the larger business. I mean, pretty much. I mean, you don't, you know, people don't go to airports to eat they go to fly but they eat when they're there mm-hmm. and and a lot of people that go to fly want to eat so you don't you don't have to worry about marketing 
you know, it's it's just not something you focus on the operation. So, so half the job we had when we opened our first restaurant, we no longer had to do. We just mm-hmm. got to focus on giving a good experience, you know, operating the brand as it's supposed to be and just delivering, you know, our best service. And so that's, that's really what it, that's really what it is. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. So, and, and making that connection with concessions, like you said, people don't come to the airport to eat. They go there to fly. I think about the same thing as a football game. Exactly. You don't go to the football game to eat, but if you're there, you might as well get something to eat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, it help, help the time pass by absolutely. whatnot. Absolutely. So, Randy, I kind of want to go back a little bit, right? Uh, I know we started talking about airport <laughs> concessions, and I definitely want to dive into that. Um, but I want to go back to that first venture. Like, I know you – so you were in corporate – you and your partner Kevin, uh, y'all took a step out. I think um, at the time you were, you you were an investor as well, right? You were investing in real estate, and right. he was in Wall Street. That's right. So you guys, how did you finance that first restaurant? You guys used your own capital. You went get loans. How did that work out for you guys? So first of all, y'all y'all do your homework for real. Like y'all really okay? Okay, yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. Try, try to pay attention a little something. Yeah, a little something, you know. Um, but so. So the way, so I was, to your point, I was, I was in corporate America um, and, you know, I'm single, no kids, not a lot of bills. And I, and I was, I was taught to save by my parents. So I, I had put some money away mm-hmm. um, and I was also investing in real estate while in corporate America. And, and I was flipping houses. It was easy because the market was just going crazy in Atlanta around that time. And so I was putting a lot of that money away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so I you to answer your question how we financed it, I used a lot of that money. Use your own money. My own money, my yeah. own cash. Now my business partner worked on Wall Street and they he had done well just working on Wall Street one of the big investment banks there. Mm-hmm. Saved a lot of that money. The the gap between the cash we had and what we needed I mean, we got we did the credit card, cash advance thing. I maxed out eighty thousand dollars across four credit cards. I'm not, again not recommending this, mm-hmm. but yeah. this was our story. Yeah, because um, we, we we were all we had already started writing checks for construction, didn't have a well composed budget, and we were short of what we needed. So now we got to now we got to figure out the gaps. So then we started mm-hmm. doing things like credit card, which you you would hope to not have to do, but we did, and then a little bit of family and friends, frankly. Oh, really? And that's how we got the first one open, yeah. Oh, wow. and, and that didn't have to be the case if we planned well, budgeted well, mm-hmm. and then shopped around the cost a little bit, like architects, designers, construction, build-out, mechanical, plumbing. If we, you know, if we got more diligent about that, we probably could have got a lower cost and would have been able to cover that with the money we had. Mm-hmm. But we didn't, so we got creative. Had y'all ever thought about, I know you did the credit card, but had y'all ever thought about, like, business financing or anything like that? You know, with your friend being on Wall Street, uh, was he privy to like, yo, we can get a business loan for this or something like that? Yeah, I mean, we we got told no by about every bank we could really? find. And it's, I mean, you you got a couple of brothers with no business ownership experience. We have both just been in corporate America. Mm-hmm. Banks don't like people that only have ideas. They Too like risky. people that have ideas and a track record. Mm-hmm. We only had ideas. And then um, we getting into... One of the riskiest industries mm-hmm. out there. Low I mean, margins, the failure rate yeah. is crazy. And and we go to a bank like, you know, can we get a bunch of money? Mm-hmm. Uh, not today. Yeah. Not tomorrow neither. <laughs> and it was just that kind of, So we had to figure it out. But, yeah, we did try to get loans, but we learned quickly that there was going to be next to no bank that would fund us from where we were. I got you. In, in corporate America, what, what were you doing, if you don't mind me asking? Were any of those – 
skills think, transferable. Yeah, skills transferable to the restaurant industry. So what I was doing, I was working in consumer packaged goods. Um, it was a company that made shelf stable food products and oh, gotcha. some and some frozen and and refrigerated. So you were food adjacent. Yeah, food adjacent. Right, that's a gotcha. good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. So they made like cereal and you know all this stuff. The uh, big company, Fortune One Hundred company. So my job getting into that company was to take. They called it scan data, but when you go to a grocery store and they scan the product, all that's captured. I got and you. And who's buying what and, and to, like, get all that data, understand those trends, and then pull insights from and it everything. to say, hey, based on what we see people buying, we should do more of this or less of that or places over here. So that was my job first. And then I got into selling products into the, the grocery chains mm-hmm. like on, a, on a business level, like business-to-business level, um, and they call that – category management, that kind of thing, sales, and then a little bit of marketing. Those skills, I mean, really, they weren't, it was, I learned about organization, I learned about leadership, watching good leaders and bad leaders, Mm -hmm. but the skills itself, um, they weren't as much transferable to what what we're doing in restaurants. Just because it was was a, like, new territory for you, right? Yeah, totally new, totally different. Yeah, it just, it wasn't a lot that I could use other than, you know, managing teams, leading people, which is important. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, that's really important, but not the direct kind of sales stuff I was doing. Got you. So, Randy, uh, now I know you were saying whenever y'all were building out, you were using a lot of credit cards, all this stuff. I think I read once that, like, you were on the, at one point you were on the brink of bankruptcy. Was that from that part of the restaurant, like, trying to get everything together? Yeah, yeah and, like, not on the brink. We went all the way up and through Bankruptcy. We, so wait, wait, wait. Happened. You you yeah. went through bankruptcy yeah, and no, y'all, we, did y'all kept the restaurant? So we filed personal bankruptcy. Okay. Um, and and kept the restaurant intact because that's all we had. So mm-hmm. we we filed personal bankruptcy to keep this protected. And so the credit cards, for example, for example, those were personal on our personal credit. Gotcha. So when you file bankruptcy, they wipe all of that. Gotcha. Um, so that's so all the debt that we used to fund the business was personal. And that's why final personal bankruptcy made sense because it could like gotcha clean you know what I mean? could give you kind of a clean slate with yeah. that. So whenever the personal bankruptcy, um, I'm trying to see if I'm as familiar is like what chapter seven, chapter seven, yeah, uh, chapter seven. That's, that's right. whenever they they just clear it, or is it when they restructure? Is no, one this was a, this was a clearing. Okay, I had way more debt because I, I had a house, I had a car. I mean, I had the business was making no money, mm-hmm. but this was the only source of income. So. There was no way we were going to pay these bills. So, no, it wasn't restructuring. It was totally wiping the debt. Now, there are options where you can restructure, mm-hmm. particularly on the business side, Chapter 11. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, this was like, I need y'all to go ahead. And I got okay. like, yeah, so What was the mindset yeah, like yeah. for you in this period of time? I mean, you know, it was interesting. I was more stressed out in corporate America than in the middle of bankruptcy. Really? really? That's what, that, like, swear to God. Um. And and so I was just so focused on the other side, and I just think I have that kind of crazy mm-hmm. where I can be in the fire and not really sweat the burn, just be thinking about, you know what I mean? And so I, I, it didn't get to me like you might think because I didn't identify with that being me. It's mm-hmm. just where I was, you know? It's just I don't know where I got that mind state from. But I, nothing about what we were going through felt like it was it was like who have, I yeah, am. Like, yeah, that this, wasn't this my identity. Lower your yeah, value yeah. as a person, right? Now, I mean, 
it was sleepless nights because we working around the clock. And don't get me wrong, it's not fun. Like it's mm-hmm. stressful. It's it's you know I'm dealing with the weight of all of this, and I got people depending on me and everything else. But I just wasn't worried that this was the end of the story. Gotcha. I just you you, about you it. knew it was brighter days gonna be coming. Yeah, like yeah, because the other thing, what choice do you have? I'm just I'm supposed to die here. If you quit, what yeah. what really what is gonna I, happen? I'm, yeah. to go be I'm just most stressed and I really yet. ain't got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I had to, and we don't come from, you know, ain't like mommy and daddy got yeah. some chances are you were the it's highest like earner to, in your family at the time whenever you quit your job. Just yeah. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. So it wasn't an option and it, it wasn't me, it's just where I was. What did you see in the restaurant? Due to the fact that it wasn't making no money, but you still was like, this is something we got to keep, and it's going to work. Yeah, what did I see in it? Um, so one thing, I think I think one of the things that saved us was that we put a lot of money into the design. Mm-hmm. Like when you went, it was a nice spot. Like people want to be in there. Mm-hmm. And in, in Atlanta, where our community, particularly black folks, mm-hmm. and not just Atlanta, in the in the country to me like we're the trendsetters like we tell mainstream ultimately what's cool where to go what how to speak how to, like that's us and so and i think atlanta is one of those kind of cities that mm-hmm. that that is an exporter of culture culture, culture sure, you know yeah. like atlanta influences everything that's one of our slogans so so because you came in there and it was in a new neighborhood that had a lot of history but it was nothing happening there and it was like downtrodden it was a lot of crime and a lot like all this and then we put our money in that neighborhood so it's like well that's interesting that's something different that's something new and you walk in there and it's like you could have been anywhere you could have been miami la new york people wanted so people want to be there so us being that kind of trend setting spot mm-hmm. like people gave us a lot of chances because they wanted to be in it and it's like the a couple brothers so working much. it yeah. yeah the ambiance right and it's a couple brothers working it and so that is what I, to answer your question, like one of the things that sustained us that I saw were like, nah, people are going to keep coming back. We got to keep getting better, you know, raise the bar in these other places. So now we can capture across not just it being dope in here, but service is great and operations great and the whole thing. Oh, I'm, so I'm glad you touched on that, right? So once again, you saw that. Yeah. So what was the first point that y'all had to fix to start making money? Was there, did y'all ever figure it out and be like, okay, now we starting to crank, we got good yeah. service, or now we got a fire menu or something like that? Yeah, we did figure it out. It took, it probably took about 18 months to start making money, so mm-hmm. like start bringing, people were flooding the doors from day one. It mm-hmm. didn't have to take that long. We just didn't know, we ain't know better. Y'all didn't know that. the formula. To right. So what we ended up having to do was, was, reset everything so we got new managers mm-hmm. um we trained them better we fixed our menu by way of making sure that the, the items that we selling on the menu are actually profitable like you can say you could have great food but if that doesn't make money if your price is not high enough or your cost low enough to have money at the end of the day what's the point of selling good food and going out of business on the way hmm. so we got hey. that right and all that also meant renegotiating costs with the suppliers, suppliers right? Because they were getting over on us because they knew we didn't know how much we should be paying for a pork chop. Or how. So we got all of that right. Um, and then and then going back to, like, the setting the trend, um, we built a rooftop deck uh. that had a cigar element to it. 
So it was a level of like a reinvention to like get people back into, ah, they got something over there that's new, and try us again, and now we're ready. And that's when, I mean, we went from losing money to having like a 40% profit margin. Which, which is oh and crazy in the restaurant. I was just about to say, isn't it like insane? Fifteen to twenty in the restaurant. If you are lucky these days, if oh. if you lucky, so that all of that went into becoming profitable. The crazy thing is that that money was always in the door. We just couldn't catch. We weren't catching it. It wasn't like it was leaking out. Yeah, you had like a le- leaky bucket. It was leaking out of everywhere. Mm-hmm. But we had people coming in, and so the thing is, like on the front end, go into it the right way. Cause we could have been earning from day one. We could have, we legitimately could have, but we didn't. We didn't do the work, the homework. Mm. Did y'all meet a mentor or somebody that kind of helped y'all figure it out? No, um, and I don't. I don't. I think it was a combination of not knowing where to find mm-hmm. folks, um, and maybe not knowing how to have those conversations, and then some folks maybe not being willing to sit down and rap with you. But between those things, we. We didn't really have mentors. We just, I mean, we learned by failure and by getting trial up, and error, trying something else, trial and error. That's really gotcha. what did it. I often say I think trial and error is one of the like, even though you know, it takes it's important longer. to have mentors. It's <laughs> yeah. important to have people who can help you navigate things. Trial and error is when you truly internalize a lesson the most. Yeah. You can take theory from somebody, but whenever it happened to you, it's like I always think about it when you was a baby, you burn your hand on that stove the first time, like. Mm. I'm not going to touch that. That's yeah. hot. You know, like I, I, I'm going to take this lesson and always live by it now. Your mama can tell you as many times as she wants to, it's hot. Don't touch it until you go. It's not the same. Yeah. It's not so, the same. So, Randy, all right. So, 18 months in, you guys, y'all hit a profit. Things start rolling the right way. You figuring everything out. Uh, you operate the restaurant for another three or four years, right? Yeah. From that point, about another three or four years. Yeah. So, then you guys exited. Can we kind of talk about that, like the whole process of exiting the restaurant? Yeah, so um, in the time that we were getting our house in order is when we were hearing these conversations I was mentioning earlier about uh, concessions, you know, concessions mm-hmm. and all this. And, um, and a couple of folks that would come to our restaurant were owners in in big concession companies, either owners or executives in, in, big, mm-hmm. in big concessions companies that we're going to be going after some space in the Atlanta airport. And the way that works is an airport will say, hey, you know, these leases are about to expire. So all the restaurants that you walk by in airports, they're on, they're on leases. Might be 10 gotcha. years, might be 15 years, 20 years, whatever. But when that term is up, the airport bids them back out, like puts them back out for people to compete for them. Mm-hmm. Right? And so these companies were saying, we're going to be competing on these leases that are about to expire. And it's like 100 restaurants. And we want you to be a partner of ours because you did this here in Atlanta. You homegrown. Everybody loves y'all because, you, you know, you've been around for a while, established a name. And you you will be a good story to tell um, alongside our whole proposal. Mm-hmm. So so when we when we really leaned into that um, and got to, okay, well, what is this going to cost? Well, our first build out for the – the first contract we won, because all these are contracts, it was 12 stores. The build-out was like $10 million, right? And our, our share of that um, was going to be like $1.3 million, which we did not have. We j- I just started making money. Huh? So, you know, so um, and they agreed to cover like 80% of that $1.3. We had to make up the difference. Wow. And the only asset we had was that restaurant. So I was like, we got to sell it. 
And that was what the exit of that restaurant was about. It was about coming up with the money to, make to the, pay for our share mm-hmm. or the leftover share of ours so that we could, you know, be in a deal. Did y'all have some uh, battles internally? Like, oh, should I do this? This is risky. Or were y'all just like, now we've been hearing about this. Let's, let's go. Yeah, nope. Was like, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. We had done the homework by that point. Mm-hmm. We saw the numbers. Like, we saw the numbers of the company. We had talked to a bunch of people. That was a way better business than what we operated, even though we were making money now. Mm-hmm. But where that could go, we're talking about 12 restaurants. Yeah. Right that, off the rip. Versus off one. Top, versus yeah. one. Even though we got a small stake, but a small take stake times 12. And then you're on the backs of a, of a huge restaurant company that has all the infrastructure, all the teams, all the back-end accounting and HR. Like, let's go do that. And they and they also believe in y'all. With yeah. The fact that they say it will take up 80% of this, yeah. you know, we believe in y'all story and everything. I definitely see why it was a no-brainer for y'all. Yeah. Just to be like, they believe in us. We working. Let's go get it. Yeah, for sure. And, and truthfully, I mean, I think, so we have been working in that, re- our, our first restaurant, five years, pretty much every day. I mean, oh, like, yeah. in, in 365 days, maybe five days not or something. I mean, it was. That, yeah. That's, you, that's, we, that we, get tired. We were, like, tired, man. Yeah, it's like, yeah. we want to pivot, take a breath, you know, get our footing, and then go at the next thing. So it was all of that coming together at the same time. But we saw the upside in this space as way bigger than the upside on just this one restaurant. That makes perfect sense. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned that with, like, I didn't know that that's what you had sold it for. Well, so that you could make that leap into the next opportunity. Uh, Because one thing I often often hear is a criticism now. uh, Whenever we talk about black founders selling their businesses, a lot of times, in our community, we give like we get a real big backlash. Emotional attachment. Yeah, like to it's the like business. why would you sell that? I think uh, recently the lady with Honey Pot, yeah. she's she sold a majority stake in that, and like everybody's, you know, she sold what was the lady said? She sold her generational yeah, she, wealth. She gave away her generational but, wealth. Like I like your example because it kind of helps paint that picture. It's like you didn't sell your generational wealth; you just used it to level up. It's like in Monopoly when you trade the four houses in for the hotel. Yeah. Like you, it, it's not. It's not a I'm quitting. It's a I'm leveling up. Yeah, yeah. And and in fairness to to Honeypot, um, Beatrice Dixon, I'm just saying this because I know her and I, I had some of them early on. She, she did not sell, from my understanding. She, the company that came in bought a majority stake. Mm-hmm. Um, all the investors, but for her and, and one of the other founders. So all her stock is still in the company and she's running it. Yeah. But even if she had, to your point, even if she had, like we, we got to appreciate that, let's say that she had, or, or any of us do. I mean, we got to appreciate that we're taking something from nothing, mm-hmm. right? From from just our mind and our spirit. And we are we are creating value to the point that down the road somebody wants to give hundreds of millions of dollars and we're going to be mad about that. And and then, and then if it's someone that has the kind of mindset to do that in the first place, imagine what they can do now having, do you know what I could do if I was starting out not broke like we started out and not having to go through bankruptcy? So, I mean, we got to let our people fly and we got to know everybody's flight might look a little bit different, mm-hmm. but it's all a win, mm-hmm. you know? And, and mainstream folks, white, they do this stuff all the, all time. the time. Private equity funds will buy companies to multiply its value and liquidate it. All, I mean, that's they're flipping stuff. Just like it, it's nothing but a flip. Mm-hmm. But so I, so I'm, I'm kind of, I don't, 
I understand the sentiment, but I think feeling um, like there is some kind of negative aspect yeah. to that mm-hmm. is really not understanding. I mean, why some folks go into yeah. this, what business is, what it takes, and then what what you can do when you do level up. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I I love it. Um, but to your point, we did it to pivot, which is also an option. You know, it's all an option, but we did it to pivot and level up so that we could grow and kind of get what we got. What what did that first year look like once y'all pivoted? Was was there lessons that y'all learned? Was there like, oh, we did a great year, like revenue wise? What what would that first year look like for y'all? Yeah. Um. So the first year looked like a lot of learning because now. To, to your point about leveling up, well, now we're on like a, a bigger stage, mm-hmm. right? This portfolio of 12 restaurants, we are projected to do $30 million, right? The first, our restaurant was like 1.5, you know, 1.5, maybe two. So we, we had a whole different, I mean, so like the contracts look different. Mm-hmm. The accounting looks different. Um, understanding what it means to be in a partnership at that level is different. So I'm like learning all of that. Um, and taking that in and then understanding um, like operating at scale. Mm-hmm. So we got one restaurant, we doing everything, mopping, sweeping, tossing drinks and all that. I mean, you got, you got a portfolio of restaurants mm-hmm. that you got a whole team that you got to manage from, from up here. So it was like a lot of being in school for me mm-hmm. and being, but being all over because we were very hands-on. This Everything we have is now transferred into this thing. Mm-hmm. So we running all over everywhere trying to see, you know, what's what. So that that's kind of what that first year was like. It, in my head, it almost made me think like a freshman year of college, right? Yes. You're running around going to all these different types of classes because in these 12 restaurants in this portfolio right now, right, y'all went from managing the restaurant that you created to managing different franchises at this point, right? Correct. Now – so we weren't met. The majority company technically was the and operating partner. So we were like non-operating partners, but we okay. had responsibility to go check up on this, do quality assurance here, that kind of thing. Like so we would go roles. support roles. So we would go across the brands and perform those roles. Gotcha. That, that was what we did early on. But you still kind of have to even for the different brands, like learn the different standards for each one. Exactly. Kind of like an apprenticeship almost for yeah, y'all. It really was. It really was. And to your point, I mean, learning, all them, every brand is different. Every, I mean, so I had to learn all of that. So now I kind of want to get into that part of it. Uh, I know you're, you're a big fan of franchising. Love it. So franchising versus starting your own thing, why do you believe franchising is such, like, that much better than like, trying to come out and create your own restaurant? Yeah, man, I love that question because I love franchising. So the reason, the, sh- the, the shortest answer to that is that most franchises that are worth your time, like something you would want to get behind, mm-hmm. have been around for a very long time and have grown over time and have made money over time, which means they've figured out a successful business model. Mm-hmm. Like they did all that work. All the stumbling we were doing, they all that's out the way. They're saying, listen, we have figured out this playbook over the last 50 years of doing this and trying stuff and winning at stuff and failing at stuff. And here's where we have arrived. All you got to do is do this and you will end up, you're likely to end up averaging where we average. And that is a way easier and, and more likely route to succeed than starting your own thing. Like we did. I mean, we started from scratch everything from our own brain 
just thinking we had an idea, and and we and we got beat up all along the way. So I love franchises because they make it easy for you. The success rate for franchising is said to be plus ninety percent, as in someone that starts a business that is a franchise business mm-hmm. has a ninety plus percent success rate, where the average person that starts a business has a sixty five percent failure rate. I mean, just it, on the odds in itself, and it's for our and then for our community because we are so entrepreneurial naturally. I believe. Mm-hmm. If we transfer that energy into, imagine if we transfer that energy into businesses that are already proven to work. I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but the likelihood is so much greater. So I'm just always trying to get our folks into that Mm because I think we have more successes. And that means more success for for us, for our folks, for our community, for our towns, for, you know. That's That's why, yeah, it's just, I, I just really believe in it. That makes sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense because, like you said, instead of trying to figure it out, create the wheel, yeah. you just hop into this system, learn the system, yeah. and then it's basically a money printer. It's like turnkey businesses. Yeah, pretty much. And we got to be okay. Listen, we got to get about economic freedom. We got to get to be really about money and not necessarily looking cool along the way mm-hmm. and making money. Like That's It doesn't right. have to be our idea. Like, we don't have to be to this person or that person. Get the bag is where I'm at. And franchising is just a clearer path to that. Mm. Are are there any disadvantages or any hurdles to franchising that comes with it, though? Yeah, I mean, and that's a good question, too. And it, it So, one, it, franchising is not just restaurants. You can franchise, literally, you can franchise anything. Janitorial services, um, floor coverings, um, blinds. I mean, you roofing. name it, roofing, missed fix it. I mean, you name it, there's something for you. But it can be expensive. Like, if you want to start out and open a McDonald's, I mean, that's a couple million dollars. Yeah, that is, yeah, like, yeah. every who can just walk in? I couldn't. You know, so it, but but there, you can also start janitorial services, mm-hmm. which is which is a fraction of that. So there is there are some cost differences. Mm-hmm. Um, the other disadvantage is, is or s- another disadvantage is it's not your idea. I don't even think that's a disadvantage. I don't, I don't care. Not like, Some people, yeah, they want their legacy they want, to live on. I sell ha- I'm a hamburger salesman, man. Like, I don't, that ain't the coolest thing in the world, but, like, that register ringing all day long. Like, that's pretty <laughs> He's, cool to me. I'm making money. <laughs> you know huh? what I'm saying? So, so, but some people might say, well, yeah, it's somebody else's system. And then, and then in that is you have to do it their way. Because and the reason is is because that's what has worked mm-hmm. for a very long time, but that means you know less creative control and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if those are if, if those are things that people are really intent on, then they'll see those as disadvantage. And and again, if you got a, an idea that you just can't, I mean, you can't help yourself from wanting to do it, then by all means. If if yeah, if you just want to be a business person and, and create financial freedom, go this route. Is what I would say. Mm. And I, I, my, another question that I had written down, I don't know if you'd be able to speak to it, is competition within franchises, right? Like um, one of the franchises I studied was Subway, and mm-hmm. one of their biggest complaints from a lot of their operators is Subway would allow one Subway to open up on this block and then another one to open within a very close radius. So now they're pitted against each other. Can you speak to that or you, do you not really? No. So I don't have any subways just to be clear, but I'm familiar with that. And just like competition within franchising. And and, and that is, I think that is mismanagement of growth. 
mm-hmm. by that franchisor. The franchisee is the person that operates me. Mm-hmm. Franchisor is the brand itself. Subway, in this example, I think they got too aggressive about just having stores mm-hmm. and forgot to think about where they call it market saturation. Mm-hmm. But where you start to cannibalize yourself, you're stealing, you know, from this store to get sales over to this store. And I just think they didn't. Subway mm-hmm. was not measured well in in how they kind they of grow. program their territory and that kind of thing. But I would also, I mean, that raises the point of when you get into getting it, when when you find a brand that you want, that you want to take into franchising, you got to know what are your growth plans? Like how much territory am I going to have to operate this business? I mean, you want to ask those kinds of questions so that doesn't happen. Because mm. it shouldn't. Can you be competitive? Like, is there anything that they would allow you to do? Because I know you said you have to play by their rules. Like, are there, like, any specials that you can be like, yeah, maybe I can do do a manager special to increase foot traffic or something like that? Do they allow you that type of autonomy? Generally, generally, no. Generally, everything is supposed to go through them. But I will say some brands are more hands-on than others. Mm -hmm. Like, some brands care more than others. Um the brands that are very hands-on and that care a lot, like that tend to be the bigger brands, the Starbucks, the McDonald's. And by the way, tend to be the most successful brands. Mm-hmm. You're going to do it like this because this works and this is who we are. Some brands don't care. Um, and you could, I mean, it could be a pizza place. You mess around and start selling fried fish and they wouldn't, they wouldn't no, know the difference because yeah, they're not paying attention. Yeah. But those brands tend to not last, mm-hmm. you know? Um so there is some of that, but it's mainly when brands aren't managing their, I got their brand. I got you. Yeah. And then one more <clears throat> question I had, like, on franchising, what I thought about was the easiness of supply chain, of all of the things that you don't have to figure out, right? Whenever I think of a restaurant, I think of the cups, like, that are being produced. I think, of, like you said, you know, the suppliers of the food. You don't have to worry about negotiating the cost. You don't have to... You also get, I'm pretty sure, a better rate because now it's coming through bulk because this is that one one customer. It's going all under this one account, so I'm pretty sure you get better pricing and stuff like that. Uh, can you speak to some of those advantages as no, well? I mean, you you hit the the nail on the head. I mean, you so all the all the products that you sell, like the, you know that you buy as ingredients, um, they tell you exactly what products those are, and they already have those prices negotiated because they say, Hey, I'm the 10 pound, you know, the, the 10 pound gorilla, whatever you're saying, the 800 pound gorilla. And they'll go to these big suppliers and say, if you want, you know, McDonald's business or Shake Shack business or Subway's business, we need to get it at a, at a discount. We need a better price. Mm-hmm. And they pass that price down to the operator. And that is a huge benefit. You having one mom and pop, they're not going to talk to you about right. discounts. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not, not worth, the, it's, you're not at the scale. Yeah, yeah. Economies of scale. That's exactly right. But the big guys, absolutely. And they pass it. I mean, you get to win off of that discount that they get. Mm. Yeah. So now kind of getting into the, the concession side of it again. Uh, one thing I was watching, I was watching a few of your interviews. I know we mentioned we did our homework. Uh, you were talking about the ACDVE program. Um, how did you learn about that and for audience airport concessions disadvantaged business enterprise yes, uh, is the name of the program. How'd you come about that? And uh, can you just kind of speak to it? Some? You're the first person not in the business that I've heard say that full 
acronym. Like most most people, you <laughs> brothers did your homework. All right. So how did I learn about that? That came out of those those conversations being in the restaurant. Guys that were ACDBEs um, coming and talking about it. And when so we that, say DBE, disadvantaged business enterprise, that's uh, so you just want to get a certification for that. You want to get a certification, right? So what that means is. Um, it's a minority or women-owned business. And by owned, I mean 51% ownership or more. So you got to have control of your company. Um, doing less than 50, I think it's $55 million in annual revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then there's certain personal net worth. You know, you can't be worth a billion dollars and be disadvantaged yeah. kind of thing. Um, so that's what that means. So if you are a woman or a minority in own the majority of your company and aren't too rich and don't have sales over fifty five million dollars, you can be you can be qualified for that. And um, most of that is handled by the state. You know, in Atlanta it's or in the city in the state of Georgia it used to be I think the Department of Transportation. Now it's another arm of it. But this it's a it's a government certification. And you go and get certified and what that does is it makes you more attractive to the airports because airports get credit for how many DBE companies operate in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes you more attractive to them and it makes you more attractive to big operators that are looking for partners to help tell this story because they need to come to the airport and say, Hey, we got this amount of DB participation. Here's these great folks that, that do that. Here's why you should choose us. So it, it makes you more um, competitive in the environment. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and whenever they're doing that, they do go out and just say, okay, we're going to put a portfolio of people together for this. Um, when did you make the switch? Because um, your current company, you're kind of doing the same thing, right? Yeah, as in competing for the contracts? Um, well, like, I know your first, je- your first deal was, like, where you guys kind of came in as the apprentice. Yes, right. But now you guys are doing the majority of the operating yourselves now, right? Yes, we are now operating. Yeah. So, and, and are you bringing in DBEs and, like, having other uh, stakeholders come in as well? So we're not – so we're, the folks that are not DBEs, like these big companies, they call mm-hmm. them primes, right? Okay. Um, so we're not at that level to where we're bidding on 10 or 12 stores at a time, H&H Hospitality. Gotcha. We, we might bid on one or two stores, at and, a time. and we can run that whole thing. What's good, y'all? It's Aaliyah from The Young and Dumb Show. I have something for you. If you're young and interested in learning more about different careers, becoming an entrepreneur, and really get into the bag, then be sure to check out and subscribe to The Young and Dumb Show. On this show, we sit down with the biggest, and I'm talking the biggest, career professionals, entrepreneurs, influencers, and entertainers to break down how to be successful in different industries. It's brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators. Let's get it, y'all. The idea is to grow, to become a prime, so that we can put more people on. I mean, that's one of the things that I really do this for, is to have the platform that can be a springboard for others. So we're trying to grow aggressively to be exactly that. But now we're... We've kind of grown from being an apprentice into okay, we can we can handle the whole thing ourselves, like the sizes that we can do, and now we're trying to grow to, man, we'll take down we'll take down the whole thing. We'll do ten or fifteen restaurants at a time. So what that's did, next for us. What did that transition look like for you guys going from that apprenticeship to actually launching H and H? 
Um, so we had launched H and H before we were Apprentice. I mean, we were the Apprentice as H and H. But our but our first our first um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. So our our first move towards operating our own was in our own in our own portfolio. Like in those twelve restaurants that we went with this company, one of them was like losing money. Mm-hmm. It was just it just wasn't performing. We weren't operating it, but it wasn't performing. But I knew it could. Mm-hmm. It had a good location. Um, it had I could just see the opportunity. The team in there wasn't that good. So I go to our part the majority partner and say, Let me buy it. Let me buy it out of our joint venture. Mm-hmm. Right? And I say this with no money. I mean I still got no money. I'm still broke. We ain't we still ain't making no money yet. It's still we just got in the contract. But um, so I convinced him to sell it to me. I go find a guy that happens to be a DBE, so we can still get all his credit for it, that has a bunch of money because he's been a DBE for a long time and saved and everything else. And I say, hey, I got a deal. If you put up the money, you can, you know, have a stake in it. I'll operate it. Everybody wins. Let's do it. And he agreed to do it. And so we, we purchased that. We acquired that restaurant out of our own JV. In 30 days, we had it profitable. And in a year, it had done like $1.2 million in, in profit um, from losing. And that's when I'm like, man, we about to, I'm about to take over the game. We about to do the whole thing. They like, messed up and let like, me figure this shit you out. You see this? Okay. Um, and, so, and from there, it was just off to the races. It was like, we got to do this again and again. And now we're taking down more and more at a time mm-hmm. to, to grow to be that prime. That's dope, mm-hmm. man. That, I, that is cool. So when did you guys, like, so you start operating your own restaurants. Um, when did you expand out of Atlanta? So our first restaurant outside of Atlanta, I want to say we had two different airports that we got into at just about the same time. It was D.C. and, and Texas. And that was right around, I want to say, like 2017. Okay. Something like that. Um, so where one of the brands that we took into Atlanta on one of the single bids we went after. He's like, hey, Brand, we got this great space. I think we can win it. You know, come on with us. And they agree. That same brand was called by the DFW Airport, if I'm not mistaken, who was saying, we really like your brand. We want you in here. And they and they went to the partners, like the, the people that were going to be the operators of it, and said, you know, we need H&H to be a part of this because of the job they did in Atlanta, and that's the only way we'll do it. And so they kind of put us in there because the level of work Did that we have put, put in. in. Yeah. Because yeah. um, whatever we do, we pursue excellence. Like we don't play about this work. Mm-hmm. We, if we're going to do it, let's do it. And that paid off down the road. That speaks to the value of good work, though. Like yeah. your work will put your name in rooms that you can't get into. Brother, say that. Because, like, Say that, the man. fact that y'all were able to turn that around, and they're like, we're not coming to Dallas unless they are part of it. Like, that gave y'all so much more leverage. I'm pretty, I don't know if y'all were privy to that conversation before it happened, but it's like, if you just do great work and if you do good by people, like, it's going to speak for itself. Like, though, what you just said, th- those two things, I mean, I heard you say two things, excellence and integrity. When people ask me, like, how do you do it? How do you win? And you got all this stuff. And sometimes this or political that. My observation has been excellence over time mm-hmm. wins. Period. Like it is really hard to stop someone that that is excellent. Which is that's not the same thing as being perfect. There is no mm-hmm. such thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about 
working in excellence every single time, you you lose some here and there, but but the in the long term you're up. That's like the Jordan formula and the Kobe Bryant formula. And Tom when they in the gym first and last, and they yeah they lose some games and miss some shots, mm-hmm. but you look at the arc of their career. Who who was better? Can't deny the work. You just can't. You can't deny it. So if you do anything, it ain't. This is not an exercise in being cute. It's just not. If if you're serious about it, you got to go in and get after it, and that will pay off to where people are like, yeah, we'll do it, but we need to do it with them. They got to be a part of it because they know how we do it. So and then integrity, like not compromising. No matter what people can say about you, don't ever let them be able to say you were shady, dishonest. You pick somebody's pocket. You. None of that stuff. Like reputation intact at all costs. Those two things over time, I mean, it's it's hard to beat that. Yeah. It's hard to beat that, man. And sometimes it might take the long way, but yeah. it me and David was having this conversation la- last night. Like it might take the long way, but you feel so much better when you come out on the other side. Yeah. And it help you yeah. sleep so much better yeah. at night. And it's sustainable. That that shit that you get on some tricks, like mm-hmm. it's it's flimsy. Like you can't, you know what I mean? Like, it's That's not ten fact. toes. That stuff that you built, built brick by brick by laying each one perfectly and, and being honest about it, like, when you get there, like, you're there. Like, you're standing on all those bricks. Hmm. And so Foundation that's just too that, strong to be knocked over. You can't. So that's that's just the way we try. And you're going to make mistakes. It's, again, not about being perfect, but, like, you give it everything you know to give it. Hmm. Uh, another thing I heard you speaking about with the franchise thing that I did have a question about, was licensing. What's the difference between franchising and licensing? I mean, really nothing. Okay. I mean, it's just like, when it, like structurally, yeah. I mean, so franchises are governed by the same agency that governs the stock market. Mm-hmm. The SEC, SEC? Securities I didn't Commission. Yeah, I mean, same thing. So when, you're, when you are franchising a brand, you have to go through a process that Pretty is stringent, a lot probably. more stringent yeah, yeah, yeah. than a license. Um, it's, so it, it's a shorter cut to a similar kind of structure. Now, there are some things you don't get with it, but but that's really what that is about. And the other reason that people do it is they'll say, um, like Shake Shack, for example, they don't franchise, mm-hmm. but they also, it doesn't make sense for them to operate in airports because airport operate it's just a whole different kind of business. So what they can do is, like, all right, we'll give you a license deal. That way we're not compromising the fact that we don't franchise. I got and we you. can still say, hey, no, we're not franchising, but... Over here, we did a license because X, Y, Z, and this airport needs local this, and you know, and so it's kind of a route to get around that as well. I got, got you, you, got you. Save yourself a lot of headache. Yeah. Sound like the, the SEC dealing with it. That just makes it yeah, a whole I, nother yeah, level. I, like, I really didn't. That. I didn't know that the uh, SEC was a part of uh, franchising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you you kind of mentioned something that I want to ask, Randy. You saying like uh, operating in the restaurant, operating a restaurant out of the airports is a lot different than operating out of the store. Can you talk to some of them differences? Obviously, I know, like, y'all probably got, like, different types of – the price is always different for one. So, I'm sure the cost of getting the food there is higher. Can you talk to some of them things? Yeah. Nice. No, price, we're going to tax you a little bit more because it is more expensive. So, everything's more expensive. Let's just say yeah. that rent, construction, um, most times ingredients. I mean, all that stuff is more expensive. The biggest differences are um, hiring people. Because these are secure environments. We're talking about airports, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know what you got to do to take a flight. So you talk about hiring someone, they got to get a background check. They got to be fingerprinted. Um, they have to run those fingerprints, like, through 
I get the TSA or whoever, which All takes them databases, weeks. Yeah. Right. So you're talking about a population of people that get paid hourly to wait three to four weeks to start their job to get a check. Hmm. Whereas on the street, if I see you and like you now, you I can put you in the fryer tomorrow or maybe today. You might wait two, three, four weeks to hmm. get them in. So you end up losing a lot of people because most of us can't wait that long to get a check. Like I need that. No. Like like now. Yeah. So that that's a big thing. Um, little stuff like you can't have knives just hanging around the store. Every knife in a restaurant in an airport has to be tethered to like the wall. Ah, because I never people saw take a knife knives in. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, so all the knives tethered. And if you're not, you'll get fined because that is a security risk. Um, so that's another one. Um, other the other stuff is like spaces tend to be very small mm-hmm. because again fixed amount of space. They're trying to make the most out of every square foot. So you got to do a lot with a little. Inventory's tight, like all that kind of stuff. I never thought about any of that. Yeah. It it is harder to, uh, I mean, the business comes to you easier because airlines do that. Mm -hmm. But the the operating of the business is harder. Like it is. Mm. There's benefits and drawbacks. Now, uh, with the, god dang it, I had a, a thought in my head. It slipped. If you don't have, yeah, you go, I, go, I ahead, go ahead. So I know right now you're mainly just operating in the airports. Do you have any desires of getting brick and mortar locations outside of airports, uh, expanding in that realm as well? Sure do, absolutely. And I tell you why, because COVID almost killed us. Remember, Ooh. I mean, remember we were quarantined, wasn't nobody mm-hmm. coming outside, Ooh. nobody was flying. All my stuff is in airports, and airports are ghost towns. I could have, I didn't know, and we yeah. didn't know what was gonna happen. Like we could. If we didn't get support from the Fed and from the state and from the city, lights out. But but that told me is like, don't keep all your eggs in one basket and then have more stuff that you have more control over. Like I have more control over street side stuff mm-hmm. than airport stuff because the level of security and the checks and balances and all that. So I'm absolutely going to be getting back, you know, we call it street side, but getting back street side and opening up some brands um, or at least a brand that I've been working on for two years to be my first franchise brand. So that's coming. Um, Is it going to be in Atlanta? Atlanta, yeah. So, okay, let me let me make sure I'm getting this right for you, Randy. So you're going to, now that you got this knowledge, you're going to start your own business with, like, you're going to be the franchisor? That's right. That's hey. dope. That's yeah, man. dope. Congratulations, like, man. Well, thank you, man. And, again, you never know. Um, I, I, I think this is going to go to the moon. Let me say this. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to speak in doubt. I don't want to put that out there because I believe in it. But, you, you know, we got to get the lights open and get the doors open. But, um, I mean, I'll be, I'll be crazy. Like, shame on me if I spent a decade in this. Learning all of these 10 things. brands, sending all types of royalty checks to these people, and I don't even make a go at it. Knowing what I know, like, I see how they do it. So, yeah, we're going to make a go at it, and we're going to run. So, I... It kind of brings me back to uh, earlier what you were speaking about, you know, starting off learning the franchise model. But now, you know, you're like, I got all the experience. It was basically me training. So now I can say this is how brands should operate. Now I can put my creativity and build my legacy. That's right. That's smart. Like getting on a like a business with a training wheel instead of you just trying to ride a bike by yourself. That's right. That's right. Mm, I like that. That's dope. That's dope. So yeah, you mentioned uh, royalty checks to franchisers, right? Yeah. 
how do those are, how are those normally structured? Is it like a, a flat fee? Is it a percentage based type thing? How do how do those work? Yeah, it's a percentage base. Typically, it's we gonna we gonna get five cents of every dollar, let's say, um, as our royalty. So, you know, you do a million dollars, you're gonna pay us fifty grand for for us letting you use the brand and the, the likeness of it and giving you the systems and the the menu and all the specs. Um, but most times it's a percentage of the revenue. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, like you said, it makes sense to want to get into it. So um, now I, I do want to just ask a you bit more about the question. Fr- well, no, the franchise that he uh, that that was my question. Yeah. Um, the franchise that you're planning on opening. So you going to another restaurant venture? Yeah, quick service. I'm a, I'm I'm out of the bar business. Great business. I just like I just give me an engine. I want to operate that thing. But but yeah, it's gonna be a fast food concept. What's up? That's what's up, man. Well, definitely, I don't know if you want to share the name with us or not just yet. If you do, I know when I'm in Atlanta, I'm a definitely yeah, support. Yeah, we're pulling out. Yeah, not just yet. We almost there. Um, but I'm going to hit y'all when we when we get there. So, you okay. know. Because y'all, y'all call me when you're in Atlanta. Yeah, we're going to be in Atlanta for sure in Late, September. Yeah, later in September. For the Black Men Summit. Oh, yeah, we'll be good by then. Definitely call me. Okay. You know? Yeah, we'll be hollering at you. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted to talk to you about the summit anyway, so we're going to holler at you about okay, that. Okay, let's do it. Sure. Let's do it. I love it. So besides that, what are some other things that you have coming down the pipeline? I know you know you want to start helping uh, other DBEs, but what, what are yeah. some other things you got coming down the pipeline? Um, so we got a lot of growth that's about to happen in H&H, and it's going really aggressively, and we're feeling very um, optimistic about it. So that's one thing. Talked about the brand. Uh, and I'm building this to be like a national brand, like I got stores everywhere. You know, hundred. I mean, we going big because why? Why, why, why not? Anything? Yeah, like, yeah. What are we here for? Um, and then I want to teach. I want to help people learn about franchising, like particularly Black folks, like mm-hmm. for all the reasons we talked about. So I have helped um, put together a curriculum with a lady by the name of Ren Timpal. She goes by. Franchising queen, and and I've helped her like structure the course to have all the stuff that people need to know mm-hmm. about getting into franchising, mm-hmm. and we're gonna put that out there for folks to kind of to get and learn about, and and I'm excited about that. Too. That's what I want yeah. us to be. I just think it's yeah. it's it's it could be huge for us, and it could save people a lot of time. Like you time said, that and you look money. at it. The numbers never lie, right? Yeah. Plus ninety nine out of ten franchises around yeah. five out of five years later, yep. when it comes to independent businesses, I think nine out of 10 of them closed five years later. So yeah. seriously, I mean, no, without, without question, if I could do it all over, I would have started with a franchise period. And I, I'd be willing to bet. I'd be at least twice as big as I am now. now. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's, that is what going that route can do in the same time period, same amount of effort. Cause mm-hmm. you don't, you're not tripping over silly lessons. Like they already they already got those out of the way, so. Can you give us your top three franchises you like to work with? Or I don't want to burn no bridges. I don't want to burn. I don't want to burn no bridges for you. As soon as I walk out there, oh, so we we are not in the top three. It's like a MySpace friends list. Like (laughs) why why we not up here? We can't do that, man. Okay, okay. I'm not. I'm not going to get you in trouble. I'm not going to get you in trouble. But I, I, man, I have enjoyed and found benefit in all the franchises I work with. You know, they're all different. Got different pros and cons. But, I got um, you. Yeah, but there's something to gain from all of them. I got yeah, you. Nice try. Okay, no, nah, yeah, I was just. Nice try. Hey, I just got to try it. I just got to try it. 
Um, I do want to kind of pivot into our uh, next section, which is called Standing on Business. Okay. Um, and Standing on Business is a segment presented by the small business, the, the private, private small, small business, business society. society. Yes, sir. And uh, yeah. their focus is helping small business owners actually have a standard of how they should operate. Um, teaching, like you just said, small business owners, uh, the fundamentals of operations, marketing, uh, supply chain Sales, and everything like that. Yeah. So uh, we're going to give you five questions. Okay. Five questions. We're going to test your business acumen. Right. Uh, once again, it's called Standing on Business. Standing on Business. Yes, sir. So let me Standing get these. Give me the organization one more time. Uh, the Private Small Business Society. Private Small Business Society. Okay. P-S-B-S. Yes, sir. Let me uh, pull up the questions. You got yours already? Uh, I do not have those. <laughs> okay. I got up. the document right here. All right, all right. So I am your gracious host, David Bellard. Uh, we're going to start with the first question here. So let's start off. We'll give a little softball pitch one. In a SWOT analysis, S stands for A, systems, B, strengths, C, solutions, and D, standards. There we go. Ding, ding, ding. One for one. Now, I said it was a softball. You got, you got, you got, you got to see this. You a got a right and wrong question. This you isn't got, like your opinion. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Scope the scenery out. All right. All right. So I got another one for you, Randy. Question number two. Uh, which financial statement provides a snapshot of a company's financial position at a specific point in time? A, income statement. B, Cash flow statement or C balance sheet. It's balance sheet, but that's a it's wordy kind of tricky, but balance sheet. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You got it though. That's too much. I got you. So y'all ain't gonna give me. <laughs> nah, man, nah, yeah, he, said, he said it was wordy kind of tricky. Don't care what I think no more. You We gonna get right back to that. Don't worry. We get into the gotcha. <laughs> nah, we ain't, we ain't got you. <laughs> okay, I got my. I got all right, my all right. I'm gonna let Jayla take over um, with the third one. So, question: What should the following in is an example of a tangible asset? A. Brand reputation. B. Employee skills. C. Patents. Or D. Manufacturing equipment. Manufacturing equipment. Let's go three for three, man. Look, he's killing this, man. That's it. He he didn't been through the fire with his apprenticeship in the first business. Man, look. If I had something wrong, I got to take all the tapes out of here. I got to shut the cameras down. I mean, we, this never happened. So, so no, we gonna get these first. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, I think you go. Did, you got did, all of them. Did you ask him the uh, business plan one yet? Nah, nah. Okay. Yeah, you go with that so one. Look for the what, what, nah, what is the purpose? What is the primary purpose of a business plan? A to guide the operational strategy of a business. B, to keep track of employee f- performance. C, to calculate the exact profit margin. Or D, to monitor social media trends. It's A, but that C on calculating the profit margin, there should be projections in there. To do that, mm. But it's A. Hey, right. look, look, he, look, look, he giving us, give it I'm not going to just answer yes or no. I'm going to give you some games, too. In, just in case. I said C, too. <laughs> I said but, hey, too. look. Four for four, you already know. So we got one last question for you, Randy. Appreciate you being a good sport on this one. What is a key component to effective marketing? Well, of effective marketing, rather. Uh, Focusing solely on traditional advertising, that's option A. B, ignoring online marketing channels. 
C, understanding and targeting the right audience. Or D, limiting customer feedback. C. Let's go. Targeting ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Mr. Hazleton, five for five. I had no doubts in my mind. Man, this man. He's sweating over here. Battle-tested <laughs> entrepreneur, I can't wait man. till we have our little uh, section set up. We're going to have confetti and stuff popping out. Oh, you, you, you try to get crazy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Why not? But no, definitely, Randy, appreciate you. Uh, as always, guys, yeah, this was that fun. is... Standing, Standing on, on business, business brought to you by the Private Small Business Society. If you're an entrepreneur, uh, you're somebody that came out into the field, you may be new, don't really have that that experience or that mentorship. That's what the Private Small Business Society is for, community entrepreneurs offering education, certifications. Y'all check them out, thepsbs.com, or click the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show. All right, so Randy, we got a few last questions for you, man. Definitely appreciate you joining us. Um, so we're gonna get into our our wrap up questions, and the wrap up question I always have for everybody is, what is the biggest money lesson that you've learned? Biggest money lesson that I've learned. Um, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you two, just and you know, because I, I break rules. Always give value. So, I love it. I mean, one is like really do your homework. Which, which I've talked about, but I can't stress that enough because you can accelerate your success so much by knowing more about what you're getting into. And the good thing is what you are trying to do has substantially been done by somebody else before you. Mm-hmm. So, like, the blueprints are there. Like, find them and do that. Um, another one is on um, trusts. Um you know, you hear, you hear like, oh, rich folks don't pay taxes and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you hear about, oh, they got the trusts and they got this and it's, and it's offshore and all this kind of stuff. Um, trust, trust is a legal um, structure where you can put money that has qualifications for tax exemption, as in money in that structure may be able to not be taxed depending on what you do with it. Mm-hmm. And if you're up against 30 40% tax rate, that's a lot of I mean, money. That is a lot and of if money. You, I mean, if you so much as paying twenty dollars or $30,000 a year in taxes, like just income tax, which means you make, I don't know, $70,000, even $60,000, it's worth looking into. Um because they're and this is all legal. This isn't some old like yeah. I'm getting you know, over kind of hook up. Yeah. No, I mean when you hear about these folks that oh you know the the Chick Fil A Foundation or the Arthur Blank Foundation. I mean all these folks got foundations, um, and they do good work out of that because it is five hundred one c three. It is also a way to minimize your tax mm-hmm. um, exposure, and so I would encourage folks to look into that. And I, I have some people that um, are experts at that. Um, for anyone that might be interested, it's not a business of mine. I don't get paid. I'm just. It's just something I've learned along the way that um, I have come to understand a lot more. And, um, and yeah, I would offer that. That's a big set. Appreciate that. Yeah, keep appreciate keep that money in your pockets. Don't give it to Uncle Sam because they ain't came work to work with you. That's how I'm I feel. Telling you know you. Know I'm telling. I'm uh, telling. So I got my favorite questions. My first one is: Are you frugal or are you a flexer? I, I'm neither. I, I'm so I am. A, I have been in my life probably a, a little bit better of an earner than I've been a saver, even mm-hmm. though I, I like I said, I save, um, but I focus on earning more. So in, anyway, in that and I, I want to earn more because I wanted to live. 
life on my terms and do the kind of things mm-hmm. I want to do. Um, I don't know that I would call myself frugal, but I'm not like doing just wasteful stuff. Right. I don't like. I am like a Batman type. I don't need no life. Sp- I mean, I even this is, is like newer for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to kind of move behind the scenes and the shadow figure out what it is it's already too late. And I'm, you know, that's my style. So I'm kind of in between. Like I like to live life in a way that is enjoyable and feels good to me and have mm-hmm. a lot of fun and all that. Um, but I like to be quiet on how I'm able to do that. Yeah. That's, that's, you don't have to be loud with it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Follow up question. What is the most craziest thing you blew the bag on? Like you're just like, that was dumb for me to spend my money. Oh man, my first restaurant, man. No, <laughs> Should have got a franchise. Um, nah, I'm, I'm playing. Let me see, man. I um, gosh, the things I like are the things I like, man. So I, I don't know. I've I've got I've gotten a couple of cars in my day. I enjoy those. I've I've uh, I've taken some pretty wild trips. I enjoy that. Um, I don't so get no, off into no, 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 no really nothing crazy. Like, no, well, I mean, when I was when I was younger, see, now I sound all old. <laughs> when I was your age, but back I mean, back I, had, day. Day. <laughs> I mean, I um, when I quit corporate America, I had a retirement party. Mm-hmm. I was probably twenty six, and I, I mean, we got a, a section and a room. And we, we, I mean, I don't ten thousand dollars on bottles and just all just. Just ridiculousness <laughs> yeah. to to then go bankrupt a year later. So yeah. I might say the amount of money we spent on bottles and sections and and, and you know being outside, you know, in a former life. Hey, That's what I would say. Ain't yeah, nothing wrong with it. Uh, like like you said, Jay, a lot of times uh, I think we talked about that with Derek Hayes. Sometimes you got to spend it to to yeah, get that to lesson. Get, yeah, you yeah. got to get it out. Yeah, you yeah. got to get it out. My my last question is: Do you have life insurance? I do have life insurance. Do you have life insurance? I still want to know about y'all's though. Okay. Because it's, it's like I have life insurance by just one of the carriers. It ain't like you know. Okay. I'd rather work with us if it makes sense. But I do have it. I believe in it like one hundred percent. Okay. For sure. Hey, that's that's our question we ask all of our guests. Uh, we just want to make sure, like you uh, heard it on the last episode, is life insurance is just one of the easiest ways to pass wealth. It doesn't matter if you have a family, even. You can have key person insurance on your business. One of your, you are your business partner. Y'all pass, and you know that person is critical to your business. You can insure them to help stabilize while you figure out what's the next move and everything like that. Life insurance can help you guys in any way, any shape possible. So I think that we believe that that's a product that everybody should just have because death is inevitable. You can't escape it. So. It's all about mitigating risk, man. That's how I look at everything. So you can offset it. It's important. And that's why we, we all that's why we stand on it as a brand and we always do ask everybody that. Because we sometimes find, get surprised, man. Some people yeah. be like, nah. Actually, I don't have and it. And some people it, it's a mentality thing sometimes. You know, some people like I don't want to think about that. Yeah, you know, it's like, like that's fair, but it's also to me, right? So I, I went through this last year. I had I lost both of my grandmothers. They both had a policies. They both had policies, though. So it wasn't a situation where the family was stressing while we were grieving. And I think that's just another aspect of it. Like, I want us to graduate from that mentality, though. Because, yeah, it's great that y'all took care of this. Like, we don't have to stress in this moment. But like our guy, Chris, uh, we interviewed him a couple weeks back. 
he was telling us his grandma got like a uh what was like a a big a like big a two policy. million dollar policy or something like that, to where she was able to give each of her kids like a Six, quarter yeah. million dollars it's whenever beautiful. she they, she passed. Yeah. So now that's life changing money. Absolutely. It goes from just being oh we covered the funeral costs to oh now we can invest oh we can pay off debt we can get rid of this mortgage. So it's it just looking at it from that standpoint. Um, I definitely think yeah, yeah, that's why we just always like to talk about insurance. It's an important thing in our community, especially. And I think black folks actually are some of the highest insureds in terms of like actually getting policies. I just wonder what those turn what that the, the number looks like on people keeping them to term. Have to do some research on mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh sorry to get kind of morbid on y'all a little bit. Um, Randy, we want to say thank you so much, my brother. Thank you for coming out here. Thank you for this sitting down and sharing your uh, knowledge, your excellence with us. Please let the people know where they can follow you. I know you like to operate in the shadows. So, you know, if you just got a business page or whatever, let them know where they can Randy follow you. Randy Hazelton, man. First name, last name. That's pretty much it. Across all the social channels, it's Randy Hazelton. So, IG, at Randy Hazelton. Facebook, Randy Hazelton. LinkedIn, Randy Hazelton. Um, our website is hh hospitality.com. Matter of fact, we just launched a new site, so y'all check that out. Um, and yeah, man. Okay. Media, and uh, what about the course that you're doing with uh, the franchise franchising queen. queen? Yeah, so that is that is called the Franchise Academy, and it's it's her product. Okay. But you I, I want to support because it. it's we need it, and, okay. and it's it's really dope. Um, and they got wraparound services to where finish the course. They will then introduce you to brands that might work for you, right? Like, and they got a portfolio of hundreds of brands. And if you qualify, they will connect you with financing to actually open the wow. franchise. Like, so we try to really Get change the like yeah. She really is, and I, you know, I don't stamp a lot of stuff. But um, so anyway, that's gonna be called the Franchise Academy. Look out for that within thirty days. So we're talking March twenty fourth. I love it. I love it. Y'all, please make sure y'all give him a follow. Y'all tap in. Uh, y'all might be purchasing from his restaurant the next time y'all in Atlanta, uh, the DFW or DC. Um, please purchase from yeah, my restaurant. Yeah, y'all please. Y'all please purchase <laughs> from him. Um, Pull up on the H&H boys, man. I'm telling you. Like we'll get into these house cleaning. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. As always, y'all, thank y'all for tuning in. If you made it to the end, I love you. Yeah, we you appreciate it. You are amazing. Y'all. I'm going to stop calling y'all mean names. For not leaving likes and subscribes, uh, but we 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 definitely appreciate y'all. Uh, make sure y'all like, leave a rate and review. It gets it gets more people to listen to the show. Uh, if you got value from this, definitely just express that to us. As as mentioned last time, um, if you guys are in the market for a policy, you need some help trying to figure out what if you need help just figuring out life insurance period. Reach out to us at Blackwell Renaissance. Uh, we have a link in the show notes. Reach out to us. We'll be able you to get send you guys us help. An email. You can hit us up on Instagram, DM. Any way y'all want to reach out to us, we'll help y'all out. Yeah, we'll have somebody help y'all with that. Now, uh, really, that's all I got, guys. You got anything hey, else, Jay? Last thing, get y'all pre-sale tickets. Black Men Summit. We coming back to Atlanta. This year, we are celebrating brotherhood. It's all about brotherhood, all about building connections, all about sustaining black men and black brothers. Y'all make sure y'all get those tickets. Uh, if it's you're thinking about getting them for your husband, your son, whatever, get those tickets. Send him to the Black Men Summit. This is our third year doing this, coming back bigger and stronger.
Man, I love I love the good man. Now you got me want to talk about the summit, man. Yeah, man. I love the good black men summit, man. I ain't gonna lie, if y'all missed last year, y'all really missed. Y'all did. Y'all played experience. yourself, man. Speaking of sites, y'all go check out the site for that. Um, it should be blackmensummit.com. Mm-hmm. They have more information there. You can sign up on the email list. Uh, we're gonna be in Atlanta. Jalen said September twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty four in Atlanta at the end of the month. Y'all make sure y'all tap in with us. Tap in with the good brothers and um. Uh, yeah, that's all, man. So until next time, yeah, there we are. You stop having doubts, and what's the point of having clout? You can't cash it out. All right, what's going on? It's your girl Lala Shepard, Boss Britt, the most lit. What's up? It's your girl DJ Excel, and you are tuned into the Progress Report podcast. Okay, and if you're a fan of hip-hop news and culture, make sure y'all like and subscribe to our podcast, The Progress Support. Brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators.